Golden Spiral Media presents Dark Matter, a fan podcast dedicated to Extant on CBS. Each week, Mike and Dave explore the mysteries, characters, and drama that unfold on Extant, and they want to hear from you too. Send in your thoughts by calling 304-837-2278 or visiting goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. Now, here are your hosts, Mike and Dave. Hello, we're glad you could join us for this installment of Dark Matter, an extant podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number six, where we'll be talking about season one, episode six of the CBS summer event series, Extant. This episode is entitled Nightmares, and it aired August 13th, 2014. And this installment was written by Eliza Clark and directed, interestingly enough, by Adam Arkin, who I know a lot of people recognize from in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't realize that until I saw you had put it in the show notes. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I guess he's been doing that for a while now, but... uh, some real star power in this show in front of and behind the camera, I guess you could say. Yeah. But one interesting thing that's coming up for show news is something we'll have to talk about in terms of what we're doing for our podcast too. And that's the fact that Extant will have two weeks in a row now coming up of double episodes airing from 9 to 11 p.m., which, okay, they moved it up an hour. So we have to not only get people back on track with that, but then keep them for two hours. (laughs) So that's kind of strange. So we have uh, episodes titled More in Heaven and Earth and Incursion will air on August 20th. And then Care and Feeding and A Pack of Cards will both air on August 27th. And CBS is euphemistically billing it as a two-hour event. What do you think, Dave? (laughs) Well, I think it is. But so does that mean we're not going to have a two-hour finale then? Yeah, I guess so. So I, th- I think the general mood on Twitter is that, ooh, I can't wait, two hours, that's going to be awesome. Because, of course, we mentioned last week that this is the second act, according to Mickey Fisher. And I think things are really picking up. Yeah. The action yeah. is really picking up. So I think it'll be an appropriately placed two-hour event, I guess you could say. Yeah, of course, they're excited. They don't have to prepare for a podcast for a two-hour show. <laughs> that's right. So how are we going to do it? That's the question. Uh, what we're going to do, listeners, is cover the double episode as one podcast. Sorry, we can't we're not going to do two podcasts one for each of of the halves of the 2-hour event. So, we're going to try and keep our discussion scaled down, but of course it will take a little bit more room than a normal discussion and therefore if you want to submit your feedback, we're just asking you to maybe scale it back a little bit or maybe even just take a break <laughs> from writing in your emails or just share with us maybe your favorite moment, something short. Uh, We do get a lot of regular contributors and we want to still involve you, but we do want to let you know that each of these two double episodes will only be getting one podcast. Yeah. And and my vote would be for you guys to just scale it back a little bit rather than take a break. And and, and you guys know who you are. They need to scale it back. (laughs) Anyway, uh, the ratings, again, you know, took a little bit of a dip to 5.633 million, but I mean, it's, it's pretty much holding steady in that, you know, 5.5 plus range uh got a 1.0 share and interestingly a 1.4 in the 25 to 54 demographic which is cbs's typical audience and 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 again it's easy to to dismiss extant uh, as a cbs show because cbs has so many hit shows but you know it's doing okay yeah and the show notes will have a link to the article that i got that stat from the 1.4 for the 25 to 54 because That's kind of where we're skewing as podcasters, number one. And number two, I think that I don't understand why advertisers want the 18 to 49 as opposed to the 25 to 54. So I think it's a a really good sign of people coming on board with the genre shows, which are typically skewed younger, don't you think? Yeah, because 18 to 24, you shouldn't be home watching TV. You ought to be out. (laughs) You know, raising hell while you can. <laughs> yeah, and who among them has money to spend on whatever the advertisers are selling? <laughs> yeah, really. So, uh, all right. Well, anyway, why don't we get to the discussion? Dave. 
the opening scene, I, I mean, Mike, do you think it's fair to say that, that Molly seems to be obsessing over the footage from the Seraphim? Yeah, what more can she glean? It's just basically the same images over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it's only a few minutes worth of footage. Uh, you know, so then John comes in, speculates it's a wave of nanoparticles, a field of carbon atoms, I guess displaying the fact that Okay, yes, I am a scientist, but as he readily admits, he's not a physicist. Yeah, he's just throwing those guesses out there. But he even kind of rolls his eyes a little bit. Maybe she's been doing this all night and he's not sure what she can glean from it. But it is kind of new and shocking revelation kind of thing. So uh, interesting reaction from John. Well, right. And, and you know, you, you said a revelation. And I think the, the key revelation is that she realizes whatever it is, she brought it to Earth. Yeah. And then whatever it is she brought to Earth created this whatever it is. Yeah, and she's not quite sure, as neither are we, how does the energy that she sees on this video create a human? Because it's one thing to hitch a ride. It's another thing to actually create a human embryo. Right. And, you know, tonight's episode pretty much breaks down into molly and john getting to the bottom of whatever it was that happened on seraphim station and then we find that that ethan's situation has taken a turn so uh the second part of the opening scene then finds ethan waking from a bad dream even though he's not been programmed to dream and this is a carryover of what we talked about last week where we're seeing a switching of roles molly is becoming more sympathetic to his humanness Whereas John is being amazed by the fact that this is not in the programming from a from an Android point of view. Oh, and the, the irony is that he's been the one trying to sell Ethan as our son, Ethan making our family complete, and then his whole attitude that we got to get him to the lab. Yeah, in the middle of the night or whenever, I assume it's in the middle of the night. Right, right. Not tuck him back in, assuage <laughs> his fears, comfort him. No, no, no. Let's get him to the lab. Yeah, that's like... That's not exactly a, a comforting thing for anybody who has been experiencing human emotions as long as Ethan has. Yeah, and you know, I think one thing that really struck me in this whole episode about Ethan is that he just now, to me, seems like this little, little boy Yeah, who wants nothing more than his mother's arms around him. Yeah, he wants an explanation of how he can see when his eyes weren't even open. He's never experienced it before, so it's new to him. And he can express himself in a way that most children who have been dreaming their whole lives wouldn't be able to. And he's worried because the contents of the dream appear, even at this early point in this in the episode, that it had something to do with Molly and something's bad something bad is going to happen to her. And so she has to reassure him that she's not going to be hurt either. Right. Now, obviously the question we have to ask, is there a connection between what's happening with Ethan? And, you know, the storyline with Seraphim Station. But then, of course, we have to go back to the scene in the woods when Kern's men, you know, basically short circuit him. Or maybe a combination of... Or a combination. Because I don't feel like the reset, as they're speculating, I think John was saying that it had something to do with his reset, and so did Julie. But, you know, they just hit him with a cattle prod. Right. So well, why would that cause all this stuff to happen? I think it might either have more to do with the energy or a combination, like I said. It looked like a cattle prod. <laughs> it was some magical android dream stick. <laughs> oh, well, right. And then the other thing, though, is that to a certain extent, Julie is playing with, you know, only half a deck because she doesn't really know anything about the Seraphim Station story, which, you know, now John's got a figure and, and Molly as well, that is there some kind of connection, especially with the revelations we see in tonight's episode from uh, Ethan. Yeah, because we have to remember there's not that many people in the know. Right. Now, the final scene in the opening sequence, we see uh, a Dr. Meehan enter a highly secure facility. It's sterile. In fact, the first thing he has to do is strip <laughs> down and be decontaminated. He comes in, he meets his coworker, a, a Dr. Calder, and he's the bald guy. And we see the rings, and I think when we just say the rings, everybody knows what we're referring to, <laughs> yeah. appear on the back of his bald head. And that was pretty creepy. Yeah, exactly. We had the fact that he was there all night, maybe feeling a little sleepy. I'm not sure if that makes him more vulnerable to whatever the thing in the tank can do. And was it 
something that the thing in the tank is influencing those around him in the sterile lab? Because how is it doing that? <laughs> well, it, well, we don't know how, but I think when we see, you know, the very end of the episode, we, we I think we have to make that connection that however it's doing it, it is doing it. And uh, presumably the energy does not have to be contained within its host. Right. So. Right. So they think it's contained. Yeah. <laughs> not so contained. And of course, later on with the Aruna footage, that also comes into play as well. It's, it makes the uh, alien of the famous alien movies seem <laughs> even more contained because well, how, how do you contain energy? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know, this, the main storyline, which is obviously trying to figure out what happened to Molly and the other astronauts up on Seraphim Station. And we certainly learned that there was another station that we'll get to in a little bit. But it's always good to see an actor with some major sci-fi cred. And, you know, the opening scene, the, uh, they're at ISEA and they're uh, watching a V-Cron transmission from an astronaut glass who we all know is victor from dollhouse yeah and Verjokai, who was uh, very recognizable immediately to me i almost applauded when i saw him there but more importantly i guess this proves that missions are still going on yeah on the seraphim it's not finished just with uh molly's mission right now you know he makes the jokes well we don't know it's a joke at first about the having homicidal thoughts but he's obviously joking but you know are we to glean some importance from the fact that he says ben is malfunctioning more than usual yeah i don't know i think they may have included the ben malfunctions and the condensation in the hub as a detail that kern latches onto to say we got to bring them down and use that as an excuse uh but because, you know, of course, when the energy surge shows up in the solar flare, that's one of the first things that happens is Ben goes haywire. Right. So to a certain extent, I guess we can even assume that the energy field or energy force is controlling Ben to a certain extent, or at least controlling what Ben is able to do or not do. Right. So don't know. I, I, I want to read more into that, even though we might not have to in this case. All right. Well, like you said, you know, Kern seems somewhat uh, maybe alarmed is is a little strong, but he seems concerned. And like you said, wants to bring him down. He says to Sparks, we have what we need from Molly. Sparks disagrees and points out he was late, looks terrible. And, you know, we later learn that uh, apparently his Absalom habit must be uh, (laughs) uh, well known, at least to Sparks. But, you know, I'm starting to see Kern in a different light in this episode. I mean, it's it's almost as if he's more concerned with the well-being of the astronauts in the program than Sparks is. Yeah, what a reversal this is. Because Sparks was so sympathetic to Molly in particular, but he seems to have very little sympathy for anyone else. Yeah. And why he considers this to be worth risking the lives of his astronauts is interesting. Right. Now, what happens next, and, and we've seen it before in sci-fi. I mean, certainly I, I remember one of the first X-Files episodes I ever saw from season one, an episode called Ice. And ironically enough, it was a team up in Antarctica that turned on each other. Yeah. And, and so we see this disturbance in the lab. Uh, the guy with the rings, Calder, starts going psycho, smashing the cameras, and then attacks Meehan. And, you know, from a visual standpoint audience horror i thought they did it really well you see him swinging that sledgehammer or whatever or an axe or whatever it was or something (laughs) oh my god but it was big and i mean you know they didn't need to have blood spatter or whatever but we certainly knew that it was going to kill him which of course it did uh spark sends in the strike team and when they get in there calder who's just completely lost it shh he's sleeping yeah so it's creepy. And yet, if you step back from the creepy factor, because of course that has a nice entertainment value, I have to wonder, why does it have to kill? And we later, later see it with the Aruna footage. Why do we have that X-Files ice parallel? Why do we have this vindictive nature for the uh, energy being to, to undergo? Because obviously Dr. Meehan was no kind of threat to it. No, no, not. I mean, it certainly didn't seem it. They were just monitoring it as far as I could tell. And I guess something could be said for the fact that they've got it in confinement, but then that wouldn't explain the whole Aruna 
footage thing. They they just had it up in space, similar to what Molly was going through. And 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 if so, why did Molly escape that sort of fate? Why did she not come back and kill John in some kind of hallucinatory rage? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, the first step to figuring out what's going on is to, and John points out, that Molly's never been one to make a lot of friends. And <laughs> the first step here is getting to the bottom of what's going on with Sam. So he gives Molly this device that uh, he pulls out of the ear of one of the uh, Android test subjects that he's working on. And, and it's, gosh, what is it? It's like a, It looks like a little piece of tape almost. It's a few nanometers of graphene in a conductor gel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. Well, and, and it was so cool because all she has to do is just, t- you know, plant it on Sam and it immediately blends into her skin. She doesn't know she's got it. She doesn't know Molly did it. But it sends audio to Molly's cell phone frequency and voila. <laughs> yeah, it's the perfect surveillance device. I'm surprised uh, someone hasn't exploited this from isea (laughs) yeah yeah, absolutely well well, it's funny because we've sort of supplanted our normal government conspiracy with a company so one has to wonder where the government stands in all this (laughs) oh yeah absolutely and you know now again we mentioned kern and perhaps him taking a turn from you know what we saw as the villain in the show so he's got the footage from the lab that shows the rings on calder's head and we, you know, the way it's stated that it's the same symbol that was sent from the Aruna, like you said. And Sparks tells him to wipe it, which Kern, he's stunned. Why would, why would I want to wipe it? And it's almost as if Kern's turning out to be the voice of reason here. Yeah. And I'm wondering, what does Kern want? Because obviously he understands the need for secrecy. That's part of his job as the head of security. But what does he want Sparks to do? Does he want him to share it with others? who have the clearance maybe that can do something about it beyond what they're doing currently. Does he want to involve Yasumoto? I'm just not sure what Kern wants other than him for him to address it in some way. No, I agree with you, but I, I do think that what you just said is true to a certain extent. And, and it somewhat comes out in that exchange that the two of them have where Kern says, you know, whatever power that thing has, it's only getting stronger. And Sparks replies, you can't be suggesting we scrap the greatest discovery in the history of civilization. Yeah. Now, is that the discovery of alien life, the alien contact? Right. Because I can't imagine it's anything more than that. Obviously, he can see that it's very dangerous after what it did to his daughter. Okay. So they're not referring to the, we assume... The yellow goo. (laughs) Or the hybrid baby. I don't know. And I wonder how much he knows about what really went on with his daughter. Cause obviously Molly draws her own conclusions later, but maybe he doesn't know that he had another Molly on his hands, despite what Katie decided to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, Kern seems to be a lot more insightful in the reality of the situation when he says it went to great lengths to impregnate Molly. Yeah. And it didn't come all this way to be put in a box. Yeah. And he rightfully points out the warning that, if it can inflict this much damage now, what will happen when it's grown? And I'm not sure how fast it's growing. Uh, is it a normal you know, birth rate that this thing's going to happen? Or is it going to be accelerated as we so often see in these alien-human hybrid cases? Right. Now, I don't know if it was the angle or you know, something else. But last week, I was pretty certain that there were three what I, would, what I called umbilical cords. On this episode, I thought I only saw two. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. look that closely. No, no, it certainly could have been the angle. Uh, yeah. You know, and it may or may not be important. But It did uh, look a little bit different. It looked bigger, I'll admit. I think it looked older, let's mm-hmm. say, more developed. Right. But I don't, I don't know, maybe my imagination. But, but even that comment, it didn't come all this way to be put in a box. I mean, it, it, it already seems to not be constrained yeah. by the box. So, um, again, I guess that's part of the mystery. Yeah, the biggest part of that mystery is if it can go about and do its thing as, as its native form, which is that energy, why does it need a human embryo? What's its goal, I guess, is going to be the, one of the central mysteries of the show, probably. Okay, well, wh- one of the mysteries of the show right now is what the hell's up with Kern and, <laughs> yeah. and, the, and this spa where I looked up Absalom. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and, and apparently it really isn't. They, you know, they tried to, with the, their little 
periodic table of the elements on the wall in the background of the spot. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I thought, oh, maybe it is an element. I never really paid that much attention <laughs> in science class. Well, no, the only thing I could discover is that it was the son of David. Right. Who was kind of a glamour guy and was into riches and fun like that. So I guess the lifestyle that Krager is looking for, who knows? Yeah. Well, okay. So uh, well, let's figure that the name, the gas doesn't matter, but why is he doing it? I mean, clearly yeah. he, he's, you know, is he under that much pressure? Is, is it this stressful that he has to go and basically get himself knocked out? And we know he must have been doing it for a while, that it must be a habit, because how else did Krieger know that this would be where Kern would be vulnerable to taking his fingerprints from him so he could pay the the spa, uh, <laughs> what do you call it, concierge? I don't know what his yeah. position would be. Right. But but on the other hand, it apparently is legal at, at this time. Yeah. yeah. Some kind of recreational drug that's allowed. Yeah, <laughs> it, it almost looked like he was just in a shopping mall strip or something. Yeah. So, you know, while it may be legal, apparently it's, well, I guess, like a lot of things. I mean, in our society, alcohol is legal. But if you're putting away a case of beer every night before work, you're probably <laughs> not going to be performing at your job. So uh, regardless, like you said, it, it's it's common knowledge, at least to some people. Because what does Krager do? The first thing he does when Kern is out on this gas is take a scan of Kern's hand and dip his fingers in acid. This seems very elaborate <laughs> to remove his own fingerprints and then use the scanner to implant Kern's fingerprints back onto his hand. Yeah. Pretty cool technology. Yeah. I mean, that box at first seemed very clunky until I realized, Oh, he's got to stick his hand in there for it to print the <laughs> fingerprints back onto him. Wow. That's uh that's dedication. <laughs> yeah. There has to be an easier way, but maybe not, <laughs> but, but yeah. And then he enters ISEA and as Sparks later realizes he was in and out in under five minutes and he stole the Aruna file. Yeah. And that, how did he even know to go for that specific item? Oh, well, he was up in space at that time. He knew there probably was something that was being covered up, but, but why would it, be so accessible in five minutes like that well absolutely and how did he know exactly where to, to go to look uh, and again maybe in ordinary circumstances maybe the astronauts have access to these files because maybe they want to go back and study other missions study their own missions uh, you know so we don't we don't know that the other thing that bothers me a little bit is the fact that the fingerprint is the only method of security and so, of course, when Kern tries to come in, he can't because his fingerprints have already been recorded and they realize there's a security breach. Right. So the security measures at ISEA leave something to be desired. Yes, absolutely. So, all right. Now, Sparks thinks Sam's lying about knowing about Krager, uh, thinks Molly told her something, you know, and they've got the footage of them talking together. Molly goes to Sam for an appointment and obviously this has been one of the, the problems for Molly, feeling like her best and, I suppose, only friend betrayed her. And now she's kind of figured out what's going on. Yeah, she's been listening yep. to Sparks' accusations through her special device that she implanted on Sam's skin, which was, which was kind of cool that it served exactly the purpose that John's suggested it might. And at least get Sam back as an ally. Right, because we go back to that piece of dialogue when she tells Sam, they better have a gun to your head. And in a sense, they do. Yep, and she's able to sort of couch it in language so that Sam understands that she knows that family is different. Yeah. And Sam does get the message, thankfully, because, of course, they're probably being listened to, and so you can't really come straight out and say... I understand what you're going through. Oh, uh, that was brilliant. You yeah, know, it really was. So whoever wrote that sequence. Uh, but what's up with Sparks? I mean, he actually threatens to drop Sam's brother off in a city with no money and no medication. It seems like he's really reaching. And Sam even says something like, what happened to you, <laughs> Sparks? Well, and, and again, you know, we find out about, I mean, we've known about his daughter and, and we've known that, that she died and, you know, we suspected she died in space. And we obviously find out in this episode, the actual details of the incident. But again, it goes back to what you just said. 
what is he doing? I mean, what is his motivation? What is his end game? Yeah, we assumed he was working at Yasumoto's behest. Yeah. And that he was sympathetic to Molly and that might even be turned over to Molly's cause. But now that's not the case at all. And I don't know if that's a, a 180 degree turn or whether or not we're just getting more depth as to what motivates his character. But Sam does do that brain scan while they're having that conversation and discovers that the abnormalities have indeed disappeared. Therefore, no more hallucinations. And Molly says, hmm, I wonder why that is. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Now, that sequence where she leaves ISEA at night, you know, she's walking down that path and she's clearly been unnerved. And we think every guy that comes to her, I, I think they want us to think that it's Kern. Yeah, we keep looking around and seeing these guys in suits. <laughs> right, and, and of course it's not. And then suddenly this guy comes up to her, puts something in her hand, and tells her she dropped it. And clearly that unnerves her, but it's a cell phone which rings, and uh, Krieger tells her to meet him tomorrow at 10. There won't be another chance. And, you know, I'm not sure what he what the significance of that is. Does he figure that, you know, what he's done, he's going to be caught or what? I don't know why they would not have another chance. And he also thinks that if they're seen together too much, that they're going to be even in even more danger. And he's probably correct about that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we see Sparks interviewing Dr. Calder and Calder has a hallucination as well. And he hallucinates seeing Sarah Wilton, who apparently died. Did it say she died during the Antarctic research or, or after she drowned? Spark says she died a year ago, whether or not that was during the Antarctica research or not. But she was someone he knew, perhaps cared for greatly, like we've discovered before. It's usually someone that you care for, that it appears as. (laughs) And the hallucination, the vision of Sarah told Dr. Calder to kill Mian and let the baby out. And she wanted him to open the door. Yeah. Does this mean the baby is out, by the way, or what's 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 going on here? Because I didn't actually see that. Yeah, no, I'm thinking the baby's still in, but I guess, again, you know, referring back to that one X-Files episode, something has been in the ice in Antarctica, basically in suspended animation for thousands, tens of thousands, millions of years, and then is brought up, thought out as part of Antarctic research. And then unleashed into the ecosystem. Ecosystem. I mean, is that what we're dealing with here? I mean, I why the connection? I mean, why bring it up if there's not a connection? There must be, because why would it have to open the door? So you assume that some of the energy got out, even if the embryo is still there, some of the energy got out and can now infect other people, correct? Yes, absolutely. So we'll have to keep our eye on that. All right. Well, the concierge at the spa is not to be trusted. <laughs> concierge. He, he, he gives up uh, Krieger in a heartbeat. And- Molly, again, was brilliant in the meeting. I mean, she's now fully in the game. She knows they're listening. She's anticipating who's listening and when they're listening. Oh, she's looking at every single person sitting at every picnic table. Right. And, you know, she's got me thinking every one of them's an ISEA agent. Well, you know, when she starts, when she sees Kern, what's the first thing she does? She turns around, looks at those same people, and they're looking at her. They're right. they're slowly looking up at her one at a time. Yeah. But when she calls Sam, tells her about the meeting, and tells her to call Sparks, I mean, it benefits both of them on so many levels because what it allows, obviously, Krieger and Molly to do is to meet unencumbered. Yeah, distraction. Right. But because Sam immediately calls Sparks, and he's, of course, already listening anyway, <laughs> it, it, it helps her end. You know, it, it, it boosts her cred with Sparks because yeah, she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. Molly needs to get hired by a clandestine operative group right away because she's really good at it. Yeah, you're not kidding. She'd have been great in Alias. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she actually successfully throws off Kern. I wonder, it almost seemed to indicate that Kern was suspicious that the Camden Library was the correct location, given the information that he got out of the guy at the spa. But it did work long enough for them to get out of his notice. Now, of course, he did go back to Bradford Park, which I guess was that maybe it's a mall or something. I'm not sure. But where they did meet because because Kern does meet up with Krieger later. So perhaps he realized his mistake later on. Right. Well, the three of them, Krieger, Molly and now John, of course, are going to meet. But 
Before that, Krieger flashes back to the Seraphim, and we, and we get that scrambled incoming transmission, which is the now familiar circle pattern. And Mickey Fisher mentioned what it was, and now, of course, I meant to write it down. It was a fractal. Right. I, I think it shows up in one of our Dark Matter chatter. So we'll, we'll bring it up. And, and it's definitely going to be in the show notes, that tweet that you're referring to, Mickey Fisher talking about fractals. And that circle fractal actually has a name. And I think we'll, we'll hear about it later on. So I'll save it until then. But uh, okay. But a really cool, it almost looked like it was on the surface of the moon. Uh, it, it was a different form than we usually see it. It wasn't on someone's skin. Right. It was almost just like the drawing that Krager later made. Yeah, absolutely. And And then, of course, he's captivated by it. And then Ben tells him that, no, it's just an ISEA test pattern. Disregard it. Yeah. Control got on that right away and, and shut the transmission down very quickly, which later made Krager suspicious. Right. And I'm not sure how he made the extension to that it was sent from somebody in distress, given right. that it was encoded. And yeah, so I'm not sure how he made that leap. But either way, he's got the encrypted file. He can't open it. He's tried every decryption method he can think of that's used at ISEA and nothing works. So he hands it over to Molly and John. And I think that makes sense. He knows what John does. So, uh, but, but that's not the end. Krieger leaves. And, you know, on the one hand, I felt good for Kern to have a victory. <laughs> oh, wow. The fact that you're sympathetic to him. But yeah, he, uh, do you think that was another nuller? Did he nuller him like like Molly got nullered? <laughs> well, see, and that's the thing. I mean, certainly Sparks implied that he wanted Krieger killed. I mean, do you think that's fair? I, I, we just don't know okay. if he was killed or not because Kern just sort of circles around him and the camera just tilts up to the well, ceiling. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, uh, yeah, I agree there. But did Sparks want him killed? You know, because the, then the question is, if he wanted him killed... And Kern didn't kill him. That just kind of, for me, solidifies the fact that Kern's maybe having second thoughts about really what's going on in this whole scenario. And and, and again, like you said, we don't really know. I think he didn't kill him. I okay. think he's bringing him in. Yeah, I do too. So but. I think Sparks would probably be happy either way, to be honest. <laughs> but I don't know. And we'll talk about how Molly uses Ethan to decrypt that message later on when we talk about Ethan. But she figures it out that Sparks didn't want this mission to end based on what they do find on that flash drive. The fact that this happened to his daughter, he obviously knew what was up there and sent her up there anyway to what? I mean, what was he hoping to gain? Uh, did they want to bring the alien down to Earth so they could dissect it and figure out what was going on with it? Is that the goal, just to study it? And and you said dissect. What are we dissecting? Energy? <laughs> no, well, I, he wouldn't necessarily have known that's what it was yeah. at, uh, during the whole mission. But yeah, Molly has now figured it out. And and the one thing that she has that, that I think Sparks doesn't have is the circles on Katie's stomach indicating that she's pregnant. And so she draws the conclusion that the baby is still alive. And of course, we know she's correct about that. Okay, now wait a minute. When you say she has what Sparks doesn't have? I don't think Sparks knows that Katie was pregnant. So you don't think Sparks has seen this footage? He has seen the footage. He just doesn't know the connection between yeah. the circles and the... Okay. Because Katie ejected herself out into space. Right. So he doesn't know what the circles indicate on her stomach. Okay, Molly gotcha. does know what that is. And then maybe now Sparks does too. He can put two and two together perhaps. Because okay. he did see Molly's circle the circles on molly's stomach as well when he had her in the car that one time so right but i think what she certainly has figured out perhaps most importantly is that through it all she knows that the baby's still alive yeah that's key because now she's going to perhaps pursue that because it is her baby after all maybe she'll feel some familial connection to it it doesn't seem like that doesn't it seem like john and molly have really been kind of disconnected as from the whole concept of they took my baby well yeah absolutely they have and and yeah like you said i think that's going to create a a newfound sense of purpose in her i mean because up to this point it was just simply what's going on with these hallucinations that i've had of marcus we you know these circles and why are they trying to dis discredit me as well right but now new purpose right exactly all right now the other storyline 
we see in this episode is basically what's going on with Ethan. And on the one hand, when Ethan was, you know, knocked out with the cattle prod and then had to basically restart himself, I don't know about you, but I, I guess I was a little surprised that everything seemed to go back to normal as quickly as it did. Yeah, we got the impression that he might be in that coma for a while. Right, right. Now, I don't think it's important, but I found it, I don't know, funny that apparently he's programmed to wake at 8 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly 8 o'clock and his eyes yeah. open. Yeah, um, but the the key storyline initially is what initiated the dream that he had. Since he's not programmed to dream, did something externally, and that's kind of what John figures caused it. Well, I think he thinks it's part of his restart, whereas I think it might have something more to do with the energy, the same thing that impregnated Molly. But I don't know. Now, I really like when Molly's trying to explain to Ethan what a dream really is, and she then gets into the subconscious, and he doesn't really understand it. And I think it's kind of the first time that we've seen her have to talk to him almost as a child, because I think we take it for granted that, well, he must have this vast data bank of information that he can just access, but apparently he doesn't. Yeah. And I'm wondering if she's talking about the secret part of you, that's how she defines the subconscious. If that's going to be put together with what he talked with her about secrets in previous episodes. Yeah. So you know how he takes things very literally and he draws his own conclusions based on input that he gets. So I'm wondering also if perhaps his accelerated learning curve might have something to do with just explanations about life that he's been getting throughout all this craziness that's going on around him, that he's been able to access some part of himself, some secret part of himself that no one else knows about. Well, see, and I, I, again, when he says that at first, he says, I don't think I have that part. Yep. <laughs> and, and, you know, Molly, of course, insists that he does. Uh, now, John finally gets to take Ethan to work, even though Ethan wants to stay home from school with his mother. Yeah. And keep in mind, he's only been to school one day so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Molly recognizes that in a sense, John's correct, that Ethan does need to be looked at, I guess, in the same way that a child would be looked at from his, a regular doctor. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a checkup. <laughs> yeah. Now, the other th speculation he has is that, you know, this programming must have advanced, as he says, to overcome the shutdown on the island. Yeah, this is where John thinks that the programming came up with this dream on its own as a response to the shutdown. Yeah. But I don't, I don't buy that. No, I don't buy it either. Now, Charlie, I alternately love him. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't ever hate him, but... Uh, well, I just love that his, his reactions are so authentic because exactly what reaction we'd expect when john says go ahead tell him what, yeah. what happened i had a dream dude and then when he realizes it's a nightmare he kind of lamely tries to express sympathy are you okay i'm sorry <laughs> and and i guess the irony is that it, it probably doesn't impact ethan at all one way no. or the other i mean i think the the, the relationship he has with charlie uh, and with julie i i think look that's the way Charlie probably always acts. And I don't think Ethan does necessarily have a grasp of tact. And right. most children don't either. So <laughs> Right. Now, you know, we talked about Julie, you know, that she's having a difficult time with the way things are transpiring and the way things are moving, which in her mind, they're moving without her as a central decision maker. And we see that apparently she's late for work, which never happens. Yeah, she's at the gym instead of going to work. That's a, apparently, even if the gym is part of her routine, she's choosing to do it during work hours. Right, and clearly this actress kickboxes for real. <laughs> yeah, she was beating the crap out of that And thing. it was not a stunt double. I, I, at least if, if it was, they did an awesome <laughs> job hiding it. Uh, but then, you know, the, the guy who kind of, I'll call, he semi-hits on her, and she can tell he's got an artificial arm. And he's drawing attention to it, don't you yeah, think? He, yeah, I he's do. He's like wiggling it around. Right. And <laughs> I don't think we've ever... Now, again, we've only known that she had artificial legs for, you know, what, two episodes or one episode. Yeah. And, and you know, that whole mechanical sound, I, you know, we've never heard that out of her, but... He doesn't have an O-ring <laughs> or right, something. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and uh, 
he tells her drone strike second korean yeah like second korean war you yeah. think yeah <laughs> that's pretty yeah, cool absolutely uh she tells him that both her legs are supers and he <laughs> and I, it's like he goes oh you know they're nice and it's like you know it, that that whole uncomfortableness that oh he's telling me my legs are nice well, not and, to mention he wants to know so you're gonna tell me what happened no, yeah. not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then she writes down her number, and if you want an upgrade, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Now, here's where, <laughs> here's where I think they included that detail last week of her sleeping with that random guy uh-huh. so that we could see that she would fall for this. Right. I think it makes it more credible, and I like that they set that up, that Julie is kind of seeking solace in strange men's arms sure. sometimes. <laughs> sure, sure. And... Yeah, again, now, is it a reaction to have whatever it was that caused her to lose her legs? Is oh, it... no. I think it's because of what's going on with John. Okay. Yeah, she she's holding a torch for him. You don't think that. I do. <laughs> okay. All right. At this point, I'm not really thinking anything other than this is a guy that finds her attractive. She finds him attractive, gives her his number and her, her number and all that. And obviously... Yeah, I wasn't suspicious at that point. Yeah, no. We're back at Molly's. She's brushing her teeth. We've been in this situation before. She hears this tap, 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 tapping. Oh, you're thinking of like when she heard the noises from the laundry room oh, before? I mean, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and, and I think that's what she was thinking. Yeah, she's like, wait, is the, am I actually hearing this noise? Oh, right. So she goes in there. Ethan's sitting at a table in his room tapping a pencil incessantly and then you realize what he's doing it's uh, a little pointillism <laughs> yeah exactly he's right. drawing a multicolored diagram of the circles yeah and, and tells her it's his nightmare yeah this is directly out of his dreams and that it's not just something that he saw in her belly although he adds that detail as well that she didn't know right when would he have seen it on her belly remember he saw it when she passed out oh that's right at the laundry room, and oh. when she first saw Marcus, she had passed out, and he was the first one to see it, and he's been holding on to that detail. Right, that's right. All right, now, uh, yeah, okay, now you mentioned Julie holding the torch for John, and, and maybe you'll turn out to be right on that one, but uh, <laughs> she does make it into work, apologizes for being late, and then apologizes for her conduct the other day, and, and all of a sudden he looks at the clock, and it's like 9.38, and he realizes, 10 o'clock meeting, I gotta go. Yeah, right in the middle of Julie trying to say, it's been, you know, we had a 10-year project, and she feels like he's being rude. Yeah, and he is. And cutting her off. Well, he is, but she, you know, but he has to be. But they're standing there watching Ethan beat the pants off of Lucy at the game right. at the time. And, right. and they're just being like, oh, anyway. And Julie's trying to explain away the synapses that, because John says there's no sign of physical sign that that Ethan could have these dreams. And that's why I think it's actually coming from the energy because he doesn't see any synapses that it would explain it. It's like it never even happened. And Julie just kind of blase says, maybe we just can't see them. So uh, that that's where I'm getting my theory from that. It's something other than what John is, is trying to find a physical cause for. But meanwhile, the fact that Ethan has jumped ahead in his cognitive skills obviously comes into play later, but it's also interesting here when uh, John gets distracted by the clock and realizes that Molly's about to meet Krieger. So something that I think goes beyond the code breaking later. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess she wrote more than just her phone number on that slip she <laughs> gave to Odin. Yeah. Uh, because... Uh, he didn't call ahead. <laughs> right. The older brother of the almighty Johnsons. Uh, you don't watch that show, right? No, I wish I did. I, okay. It looks really good. Well... You know, he shows up at the lab ostensibly because the clicking came back. But now, so now the question is, who does he work for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, because he comes in and obviously Charlie has a bad reaction to him. Now, is it a jealous boyfriend type reaction? I don't know that that's true, uh, but he does feel kind of hurt that he's introduced as co-worker. Uh, I'm going to go get a sandwich from the coworker lounge. Well, yeah, but I guess I'm thinking, like you said, we've seen no indication that they have any kind of a romantic relationship. Well, I think Charlie just realizes he's being dismissed and his joking about Odin's name is not welcome. But what would you call him? I mean, he's a coworker. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know. My friend, Charlie? I don't know. Well, I guess, but they're at work. <laughs> okay. So I, I don't know, you know. That, well, uh, what it does allow that 
scene to happen is that, okay, Charlie's left the room now because of that. And then Julie goes to get some extra part that she has lying around to help him before, you know, she gets the full scan so that she can help him more later. And that leaves Odin alone with Ethan. And of course, Charlie did point out that Odin is ruler of Asgard, father of Thor. I think a lot of people know that from Norse mythology. But and Ethan, thank you. Ethan, <laughs> but Ethan, it didn't send us podcasters scurrying to Wikipedia <laughs> to figure out what the significance of it yeah, was. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. And then Ethan even says, "Odin, the god of war." <laughs> he goes right into it. And poetry. Yeah, yeah. Odin yeah. is the god of war and poetry. That's not something you see too much of together. But thank God, an English teacher's dream. Ethan says. There's a lot of poetry about war. <laughs> right. And then he goes into that little explanation about whether or not it's significant that we have a lot of poetry about war and that, you know, he goes into talking about the fascination we have with warriors and and, and heroes. And to a certain extent, he's right. But so who's the hero? I mean, it is is I don't know. You know, I start thinking like, OK, this, you know, what does he know that we don't know is Ethan going to end up being the hero of this whole story. Oh, well, that's a different interpretation that I had, but I'll save mine because mine's part of my prediction is, is dealing with what Odin said. So, But Julie comes back in and brags about designing Ethan's body. Hey, you can hardly tell he's an android, right? <laughs> I thought that was pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. It cer- certainly seemed to me within earshot of Ethan, and it... it did seem to be kind of a condescending remark relevant to Ethan. And of course, Odin's reaction, I think, is key for for my prediction anyway. He says, I guess that's the future. And he kind of gets this look on his face like he's not so much a fan, perhaps, of this being the future. Yeah. All right. Well, I thought one of the most meaningful scenes of the episode, or certainly one of the, the scene that was most compelling to me, they're at, at John's lab trying to decode the message, which appears to be a bunch of squares with numbers. And, it, you know, it looks like it's some sort of a game. <laughs> and then Ethan suddenly tells him that he's playing it wrong. It's not a game, E. Right. <laughs> and asks if he can try. And then boom, 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 he starts shuffling them around. And it doesn't take him long to get the five matches, decrypts the video, which turns out to be Katie Sparks on the Aruna station. And they send Ethan off because it's kind of a disturbing video. Very similar to, I guess, like we already mentioned, Alien or yeah. something like that, where the virus has entered the ship. They think it's a virus, I guess, and rightfully so. I guess you could see it that way. Uh, Katie thinks it's an infection and that she herself has been infected as she shows her stomach to the camera. And we can see the circles there. And she's decided that she's going to send herself off into space and urges them not to try to recover the ship. And of course, they. They heed her wishes. Yeah. And I guess saying goodbye to her father, but the episodes, I mean, again, I thought this was a really, really good episode. I think they pushed all of the storylines ahead significantly. I I was a little disappointed with the closing scene. Yeah, me too. At the baby's lab, Sparks, you know, tells the guard to go grab a coffee. I guess I I was expecting more to come out of it than just simply... The energy just showed him his daughter in the same form that we see on that you know, frame on his desk in his office. Right. And I don't get that because why wouldn't it show her the way she was that when she died like it did for everyone else? Unless it's showing her the way it thinks Sparks wants to see her. Yeah, but that doesn't fit. I don't uh, know. I don't know either. It, it, was just... that the source of your dissatisfaction, though? Because that's what it was for me, the fact that it was young instead of old Katie. No, it's just the it, yeah, big deal. I, I just, it, it, I don't know. I don't it, care. Having an emotional moment instead of actually moving forward with whatever Sparks' goals are, is that what you would have liked? Yeah, maybe, or, or, or an emotional, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I didn't feel much emotion there. Yeah, me either. You know, yeah. so that, you know, had had Sparks, like, just had tears, you know, running down his face or something, or sobbing when he saw her something like that, uh, maybe, but but as it was, just kind of left me flat. Yeah, so 
that a, a strange place to leave it, but it does leave us with a lot of questions, although we actually addressed plenty of them during the discussion, but there's still a, a few left out there. First of all, does the Antarctica research that m was mentioned by Dr. Calder have any connection with what happened on the Seraphim, or is that just a throwaway? I think we want to lend some meaning to it because of the X-Files episode. <laughs> and, and again, I mean, isn't that, wasn't that the basic storyline in The Thing? Yeah, I mean... And also Helix, which yeah. is another, you know, we see Yasumoto, an actor who's from, from that show as well. But yeah, there's a lot of feelings about Antarctica in sci-fi, I think. Yeah. Um, is there a connection between Ethan and what happened on Seraphim? I think there is. Yeah. Uh, what are Odin's motives? Uh, who does he work for? Uh, this is where my prediction is going to come true, that there's okay. a third faction. Okay. <laughs> but you, you talked about the switching of... Kern and Sparks. Uh, Kern used to s seem like the brutal one, and now Sparks does. And yeah, Kern seems yeah. more sympathetic. Yeah, I mean, Sparks was always watching out for Molly. You know, you, you know, using the word love to yeah. to describe the relationship, almost as if she was his daughter. Yeah, exactly. And one question I still have—I think I even mentioned this last week, or perhaps it was the week before—whenever Yasamoto isn't in it, I'm like, okay, how does he feel about all this? And how does it tie into the yellow goo, the meteor goo? Yeah. Because that doesn't seem to be the same kind of energy that we're dealing with. So how they, those tie in together or whether there's something beyond just dissecting an alien, which is what Spark seems to want. But this is where we get into our predictions. All right, well... I think I already articulated mine, and that is that I think at the end of the series, uh, or at least at the end of season one. Which might be the same thing. <laughs> which might be the same thing. Ethan is going to be the one to turn out to be the hero, that, that he is going to, uh, and I'm making finger quotes, save Molly, John, the human race, whoever, but that, that he is really going to end up being the heroic figure. Oh, and I can see that happening from, from a standpoint that you possibly aren't really intending, and that is that he's not infectable. You know, right. let's, let's say there's something that's going to run rampant. He is not human, so he might not be able to be influenced by the energy. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting that you brought up that quote about heroes, because that scene with Odin, although it's, it's certainly not the central scene in the episode and we did spend a lot of time talking about it is my prediction too but specifically with regard to odin and i think that you know how in orphan black you've got the prolethians who have some kind of uh, religious devotion to strike down clones right <laughs> i think the same thing is happening here i think odin is an android assassin oh someone who doesn't think that androids should be allowed to exist and that he's on a zealot's mission, and he considers himself to be the hero that's been sent on a heroic cause, a warrior sent on a heroic cause. Oh, I like it. Yeah, so we'll see which one of us is correct or whether we get an answer to that at all. But uh, certainly we both honed in on, on the hero idea. But let's hear what our listeners have to say, predictions and otherwise, in our Dark Matter Chatter segment. And we'll start off with a fellow Golden Spiral Media host, Corey, who does the triple cast on Golden Spiral Media. He wrote into us and said, I wanted to touch on the specific scene of Ethan drawing the circular pattern. Several years ago, there was an abruptly canceled series called Kyle XY that saw the main character, Kyle, drawing pictures in a similar way. In that show, it was likened to the way a computer printer renders an image through a series of pixels. Ethan's drawing wasn't quite the photorealistic image that Kyle would produce, but it is an interesting concept. And actually, during the live tweet, I believe Christopher Bork also brought up the Kyle XY parallel at that point. So, yeah, I like that parallel there. Oh, you know, um, I'm trying to remember who the heck was in that show. Um, Magda Apinovich. Oh, right, 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 right. How could I forget? Played Andy Jensen. Yeah, I think we actually mentioned that in our interview with her. Right. So, Ode to Spot says... Ah, uh, here we go. I heard another <laughs> X-Files reference. John told Molly, I want to believe. You know what? I did hear her say that. <laughs> I would have liked to see the tension between Molly and John's disbelief draw out a bit longer. 
it seemed to be resolved way too quickly, but I am glad to see he's on her side. Yeah, I think that's one of the the biggest things that I, that I got out of this episode as yeah, well me too. in terms of their relationship. Anyway, just wanted to expand upon the prediction that Julie will betray John and Molly. I think part of her betrayal will be to steal the female humanic and she oh. will pose a significant threat to Ethan with her advancements. I like that. Lucy yeah. could end up being uh evil Android to Ethan's good. <laughs> ah, thanks again for another great podcast based on both of your recommendations for orphan black. I recently finished season one and look forward to season two and the podcast. So, all right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Orphan black uh, podcast over there at continuumpodcast.com If anyone's interested in that show, uh, one of our listeners from the Continue podcast as well is Christopher Bork, and we heard from him again this week. He says, I think we got answers to several burning questions tonight. First, the Seraphim is indeed still occupied. Nice appearance by Enver Jokai from Dollhouse to confirm that. After the Enver reveal, it was almost as if Gordon and Sparks changed roles. Yeah, that's exactly what we thought, Christopher. Gordon seemed to be genuinely uncertain and even a bit afraid when he said, Get him down before he has an encounter. You got what you wanted from Molly. But Sparks quickly dismissed it. And as the episode progressed, I couldn't help but think that things might be unraveling behind the scenes for Gordon in a way we've yet to see. He seemed on edge. And Sparks, on the other hand, appears more determined now than ever to cover up the secrets and push the agenda a bit more ruthlessly. Finally, a nice nod to Serenity, with the reveal near the end from the stolen Aruna transmission, we know now part of what happened to Sparks' daughter. The creepy video and banging by the others to get to her felt so much like the Reaver video found by Mal and, and his team. Her description of the deaths and madness also suggested to me why the Seraphim might only contain solo missions. If an encounter happens, there's no one to turn on anyone else. Oh, that, nice. That's a good point. That's yeah. They didn't want uh, deaths, but they perhaps wanted the type of infection that Molly brought back, but <laughs> I don't think they were expecting a pregnancy, but there you have it. Uh, Christopher has a prediction, as always. He says, I think you guys are right. A third faction is about to make an appearance. If I'm not mistaken, Mike, you made this prediction a few weeks back. Yes, I did. Odin wasn't added for no reason, and his interest in Ethan seemed a bit on the untrustworthy side. I think Odin may be a player in this third faction, and our two-hour event next week will show us more of who he represents. Thus, the stage will be set and all the main players in this giant chess match will be known to us. And once again, Christopher, you and I had very similar predictions. All right. Now, Geza says, awesome episode this week. A lot of moving parts. I do not see how it could be considered slow. Here are my thoughts about it. First of all, Ethan dreaming seems significant to me, even beyond the fact that he's different after the accident or that he's able to change in ways that were not intended. Molly pointing out that Ethan developed a subconscious made me think of dual personalities. One is the Ethan we know, the other is more basic, oriented on self-preservation and goals set by the machine side of him. The circles on Molly's belly were flagged as a threat by his machine side and passed on as a nightmare to actual Ethan to warn Molly. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, I like this two-sided idea. Yeah. Warning Molly is in the best interest for the machine side because being part of a family gives more freedom. I know it's a stretch, but it is a cool idea nonetheless. I don't think it's a stretch. I just think it's something I didn't think of. That's yeah. Like yeah. Very well, because who knows how Ethan is thinking and, and what type of conclusions an android would make that would might be different from a human. Yeah. Now, moreover, what's up with this Odin character? He's way <laughs> too familiar with Ethan and the idea of an android child almost didn't register. His approach to Julie looked like it was set up in advance. Definitely. Yeah, maybe he just wants to drag her into bed, ignoring all the kinks Julie has, but <laughs> my guess is that it's something more sinister. Yes. Also, all the talk about war heroes and poems with Ethan. Can you say Skynet? <laughs> Once again. <laughs> Skynet. Finally, inhaling gas as a legit recreation looks so weird. I kept waiting for someone to start smelling glue. <laughs> yeah, those green canisters were a bit on the cheesy side oh and then, oh and then i loved when uh kern went back and you know basically beat it out <laughs> of him right. and then on the way out he grabbed the can and said thanks for the can or whatever <laughs> thanks for the freebie yeah now that i've threatened your life alex from the uk writes in once again he says i mentioned before that it could be possible that ethan will have lasting damages in his internal workings after his trauma and now he has nightmares when he isn't programmed to ethan saw the circles on molly's stomach Krieger saw them on the Seraphim. 
Both of them saw them again after. Krager couldn't stop thinking of them, and Ethan had a nightmare about them and had to draw them. Will Molly have a similar experience? The circles remind me of the symbol that Lexi wears on Falling Skies. That's true. That's the uh, triskelion that you're referring to, but I think it's a little bit different. We'll hear a little bit later what that is. But Alex also says, Sparks referred to the baby at one point as the entity, which I feel holds significance. My theory, as Gordon put it, it came from far away and impregnated Molly, but not to be trapped in a box. Perhaps this baby is a physical manifestation of the energy we saw on the Danny Five algorithm. After all, Sparks asked it at the end of the show to show her. He must know it's not just a baby. Could the circles be its way of communicating with people? Will Sparks start showing the circles on his body like everyone else who has seen dead people who were important to them? Also some fun bits. Aruna in Hindu mythology is a personification of the sun. More sun references. The entity can show hallucinations of dead people. Are we sure that we aren't dealing with Smokey from Lost? (laughs) All right. Now, you know, the thing that Alex's email made me think, with the circles, I think we're tying in the whole idea of pregnancy. And yet, you know, the guy uh, called her. We have him on the back of his head. Oh, right. And clearly he's not pregnant. Yeah. Why does it show up on different parts of the body? We were talking about how it showed up on... Uh, Molly's arm because of trauma, right? Taking blood, but yeah, this doesn't fit with that. So yeah, we have to rethink our conclusions about what the circles mean and what and when they show up. Yeah. All right, Cy writer Dave, and oh, here's the one where y- we talk yeah. about the fractals. Here. Yep. I know that a lot of people have wondered what that symbol we see throughout the show is. Turns out it's an Apollonian gasket. Oh, there we go. <laughs> a fractal generated from triples of circles, where each circle is tangent to the other two. Mickey Fishers commented on this in Twitter by saying, we got very excited the more we started digging into the fractals. We like that this one looks a bit like a hazmat sign. Here's the link on Twitter, and and we'll uh, include the link in the show notes so you guys can take a look at it. Uh, Fisher has also admitted to being an avid, wired, mashable tech blog reader, and he tries to ground those ideas whenever possible. For example, the graphene listening device, I suspect Simon Barry's the same with Continuum, and I really like it when they bring as much real science into sci-fi. Yeah, and, and leave it to SciWriter Dave to bring in the science into our <laughs> Dark Matter Chatter segment as well. I'm so glad he gave us those details. And lastly, we'll hear from Zubzirox, who says, I think I realized why Extant has drawn so much criticism for its pace, and I really wanted to hear your thoughts on this. Could it be the case that it's not really the plot pace people are complaining about, but more the pace of the scenes themselves? And Zubzirox, I definitely think you're right on that. And I think it's just because of the nature of the show, the emotions that they're exploring. But I definitely don't think it has anything to do with the story pace. Right, Dave? Yeah, well, yeah, I agree. And and I think like, well, who are these people that are complaining? Because, I mean, basically what you're saying is you're you're, you're complaining about extended dialogue yeah right and okay i understand it's not action it's people talking and you know you you have to listen and you have to try to extend out what's the significance of what they're saying and what are their right i mean you and that's the beauty i think of sci-fi and i guess i'm just wondering who are these people that are complaining because I don't think it's the typical sci-fi fan. I mean, we're fine with that. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be all action and guns. It can be suspense and creepiness too. Yeah. (laughs) But Zubzarok goes on to say, I just feel that the pace is rather slow, most scenes having no immediate urgency to them. Also, just the movement of the actors and everything in this world is rather considered. Add to that, that this subjective pace does not really change that much over an episode or even over the whole season so far. And when I compare it to other shows, like maybe Person of Interest or Orphan Black, those shows have fast-paced action scenes, and then they have the slower-paced emotional or plot-driving scenes, and then both of them have comic relief scenes. On Extant, and this is just my feeling, the plot-pace graph is rather flat and has no major peaks. This uniform pace structure makes the show overall seem slow-paced, even though, and this is where I agree with you, the actual plot pace is fairly high. And I think what it boils down to, Dave, is personal preference. 
Right. And I think, you know, if, uh, what is it, Freitag's Pyramid, that uh, you guys can remember that from your high school days or, or college English class <laughs> look days. Look it up. <laughs> yeah, look it up. But, um, you know, here, you know, it's not a steep angle. I think it's a gradual angle. And I think what we're going to probably see is that as the ball starts rolling, it's going to pick up speed and it's going to pick up momentum. And I don't know, you know, is everything going to come crashing to a crescendo at the end. I think it might. <laughs> it's going to be like a slow build and then frantic stuff at the end. Well, Zubzarax has one last prediction. He says, I say Spark's daughter is not really dead, and we will see her in some form or shape again, and it will not be on a video recording. Ooh, creepy. When is dead dead? <laughs> but that's it for this edition of the Dark Matter Extant podcast. Keep up with show news and fan interaction on Twitter by following us at Dark Matter GSM as well as other Golden Spiral Media podcasts by following GSM Podcasts. And Mike and I will be back next week with our discussion of episodes 7 and 8 of Extant entitled More in Heaven and Earth and Incursion. But in the meantime, head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can write a message, record a comment using your computer's microphone or call 304-837-2278. But remember, this week, keep it short. <laughs> That's right. And I want to briefly thank Eric29er and Tangier14 for their reviews on iTunes, their five-star reviews on iTunes. So if you've enjoyed this episode of Dark Matter, please consider rating and reviewing us in iTunes as those two did. And we'll talk to you again next weekend. <laughs>